Most High, I come to you giving you thanks and praise for keeping me in sound body and mind. I ask you to forgive me for all my indiscretions, all that I have done and all that I will do. I ask you to open me up, use me as your vessel, let my voice be yours. Speak your mission through me, allow the listeners to open up and receive it the way you intended. No holds barred. Use me. I used to say this when I was your age. I said the 60s was puberty. Puberty is the physical structure changing. Chemically, you're changing. You're growing. Right now, we're in adolescence. Adolescence is the intellectual change. The things that you experience in college as an intellectual being. You grew. I mean, you've grown probably. You're like 6'2 now. You've grown. Physically, you've grown. But the growth that has happened at NC State is an intellectual. That's the adolescence. So I think culturally, for the past, specifically the last 20 years, I believe the world is experiencing social adolescence, cultural adolescence. From World War II, the 60s and 70s, the physical nature of the world was changing, and I equate that to puberty. Nations were being destroyed and reborn. Yeah. Colonialism was being destroyed. So the world was going from these big packs to these individual countries, and I, I, I equated that to the physical shape of the world was changing. Mm -hmm. Physically, the world hasn't changed to me a lot since the 1960s. Okay, we have South Sudan, we have East Timor, we have you know, the Czech Republic instead of Czechoslovakia. We have those things, but it's not the same scale. It's not the same scale. And now it's the ideas that are changing in the last 20 years. The yeah. ideas are radicalizing quickly, quickly, very, very quickly. I don't want to get on that with you. I want you to start thinking about these things. I want other people in your, in your competency to start getting these ideas in your head because like you said, the change is going to come from you guys. The grace can't change it. I can't change it because I have no idea the complexity of the reality that you live in. Nobody does. Nobody does. And the only people that can figure it out, like we talk about, about by 1989, uh, was it Nintendo NES? Yeah, yeah. Was nice. 8-bit. It was revolutionary. And then five years later, Sega came out with 16-bit. And it was like, oh my God. And when I was in college, PlayStation had whatever it was. So things are getting better. Things are getting better. But you also see... People are regressing. Minecraft ain't yeah. 16-bit. <laughs> Minecraft looks like Super Nintendo. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so there's so there's this thing in the air. You know what I'm saying? There's this thing out there in the zeitgeist of maybe we should go back to a certain time they, they, when, it wasn't, they, when it was not as fast, when it was not as clear yeah, and crystal that's clear. For sure. Things are getting more technologically advanced. Are things getting better, man? Nowadays, we pretty much are living in a place where you literally have with the media. Any bad thing that's going on is getting hit to you in real time. So you see all the bad things that are happening. You get all the voices, all the grievances of the commoner. But compared to way back when, this is like a million times better. But I do think the sort of slowing down, appreciating life for what it is. I think that's a problem for, for people, especially people in our Western society. So grow, growing up, I think this is one of the first generations who, who grew up, and again, specifically speaking of young black folk, without a quote-unquote leader. After King and 
X in the 60s yeah. and there wasn't no really buddy Really, there was really nobody out there. They're acolytes, they're disciples, Jesse Jackson, and people yeah. like that. In the 80s, they were figureheads and spokespeople. So is there somebody out there for you? I can't say that it, that there is. I've taken a lot of words of wisdom from a lot of people. I, I love like, like Nas, for instance, favorite rapper of all time. And he said something like, I don't remember, maybe it wasn't him, but I feel like it was him that was saying it in a talk. He was like, you know, like you don't see a white leader, granted they're the majority, but you don't see an Asian an Asian figurehead, and like Asians are obviously, at least by the numbers game, doing very well in our society. You don't even see um, a Hispanic cultural figurehead, so why do we necessarily need one? I don't I don't even know if I agree with that, but I think that he has a point. I don't know, figureheads, man, it's it's tricky. I think people should be focused on the people that they interact with daily. I think one thing that's really interesting is we get some of the most like culturally competent, politically correct people ever. And they know about every theoretical struggle that people are facing out there. But when you talk to these people, they're like so rude to you and they're mm. and they're negative, pessimistic, depressed people. This is online or this is real life too. Okay. Well most of I'm, th I'm thinking about people in real life that that are supporting these causes, but when you talk to them, they're not they're hurt, bringing, they're flawed people. They're flawed people and they're bringing, well, everyone's flawed, but they, they bring nothing but negativity to the table. I feel like maybe if we focused on our nuclear family right and treating the people in our everyday interactions right, maybe we wouldn't need a leader because if everyone did that, we'd be doing well. It's, it's kind of hard to manage a lot of people in a positive way. And I feel like that's something I'm slowly learning too to try to just focus on. I always want to be this grandiose dude, but maybe if I can just make sure that the people I'm interacting with in my daily come out better and they're making me better, I think that'd be pretty good. Society's gone from a place of where I think you needed that structure, those leaders. The entire human history is about having that guy, that witch doctor, that uh, juju man, that preacher, yeah. that person, to the point now where you're literally saying, I know the reason why at that time that was necessary because not everybody had, not everybody had the knowledge mm -hmm. to understand the psychology of why that's needed for the society to function. Mm -hmm. Today, I think you kids are nuanced enough to understand, well, that's just a role. That's just a role somebody is playing. Yeah. He's the president, but he's a dude. You know why he's a dude? Because he's got daughters and they're probably telling him in the backyard, Daddy, get out of my room. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we've gone to the point, we've gotten to the point where it's not just, like like um the people the, up here and, and we're down here right. yeah. so we've gotten from that and the kings and the queens to just we're people and so when you say that i don't need a leader and Nas is saying we don't need a leader you know the, the asian community is not lead, not a leader when when something happens you know not they're not going after a white basketball saying what do you think about that mm -hmm. you know yeah. what i mean they're going after charles barkley because there's a history of that mm -hmm. in the black culture there's a history of that among oppressed people that there needs to be there needs to be one voice because God forbid the media let everybody talk, they'd probably be overwhelmed. Oh, mm -hmm. So I just want to hear from one of you people and then go back into your slums and, and, and deal yeah. with your own life.
I was in the space where I, I, I hear, I hear hints of where you are right now. I was in that space trying to figure out mm -hmm. what I wanted to do next. So I was talking to myself as an as somebody emerging out of adolescence. Mm -hmm. I had all these things in my head that I've been thinking since, since I was in high school. And I think in grad school, I sat down and, and just started writing these things out. And there were things that you just said that I can go back. And again, I wished 15 years ago that I had people to have these kind of discussions with. Because I know I wasn't alone, but I felt it. I felt alone and I couldn't figure out a way, one, of couching these essays that I was writing when I was around your age. or if it was relevant mm -hmm. and maybe the time is now for people because the stuff you're saying the stuff you're saying I, could, I'm, I'm, I went and I got this I'm gonna read a little bit I think you will understand this mm -hmm. I think you will understand this I want to get and I think it it echoes at least some words that I think that you actually mentioned um, let me see here today a new idea is soon the old paradigm and the ways of perceiving the speed and scope of chains are obsolete before they are even implemented. In the meantime, which is always instantaneous, no idea ever gets fully developed, no paradigm fully reviewed or tested. In the interim, there is no societal design, no direction, no thought, no discourse, and certainly no action. There is no popular thought for a social design through which we see race and its influence on our actions. And it doesn't have to be race through which we see a better life. The fact that we don't have a pressing need to talk about race at that time may signify our getting over it. Obviously, no, it was just quiet. I often think that race was just a metaphor in God's dialogue with man. The more we figured out about it, the closer we'd be to God and to truth. I mean, when you mention that we need we need an outside force, no. I think God is saying, once you idiots figure each other out, then I'm going to come down. Mm. I'm going to come down and show you, okay, you guys, you guys get it now. You guys get it. What's your reaction to something like that? To what, yeah. what was said there? I, I really like it. I like, I like the way you write too. I was just thinking about the, the way that you presented that. I, I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. It's crazy because, you know, you don't have to necessarily think this way. You can just go about your day like, oh man, I woke up, I have to take a piss and might eat some pizza today. You know, like that's that's how you can, and that's and that's how I think sometimes too. Not, not trying to think that, it is always a constant assault of, of just like, man, the weight of everything's on me. I'm trying to figure it all out. The world is like that now, but also adolescence is like that. That's naturally. naturally. So it was me, and I think that's what mm. I was trying to get at earlier. Mm. That adolescence is like that, but the world as it is set up right now, in terms of somebody trying to understand it's it. It's an adolescent is, world, as you were saying. So like. And that's double. That's double on me. It's the Alice so world and the Alice. So that's, my, that's what I'm trying dude, to get. I'm, I'm, starting to get, get I'm, starting, I'm starting to understand what you're saying. Exactly. So yeah, the point is, how do you then figure yeah. out who you are in oh that confusion? And that's what the the stunting, that's what the inaction comes from. 
the fact that you're still trying to figure out yourself but you're being bombarded with literally a world that's still going through this adolescence in terms of ideas and I was talking about a lot of things when I wrote this I was trying to it would be so easy to write an essay on just race mm -hmm. and another one on economy but on another one on you're wrestling with everything the I whole weight of human existence the whole weight and how do you an editor would say, well, it would make sense if you're pandering to the lowest common denominator, which when you're marketing anything, you really do. You're pandering to the lowest common denominator. How do you make it so simple that they can get it? But the fact is your reality, and my, what I was grappling with and what I understood is that the reality that you're talking about is so multifaceted, so multi-layered, so multi, that it should not be compartmentalized because that's not the way you experience it. Mm -hmm. And this was 15 years ago, so I can only imagine how much more complex it is now. So yeah. if I have to talk about it, I wanted to talk about it and write about it in a way, in a way that was not complex that it's not understood, but complex enough where people read it going, holy shit, people think about all these things in one paragraph? Mm -hmm. And it's, yes, they do. Sometimes they don't even know that they do because they're just processing it subconsciously, but I think that they do, and I think, yeah. At that time, 15 years ago, was when, to me, all that stuff started happening. And I can say that because probably all that stuff started happening to me. It's probably already happening all the time. But it started happening to me. So that's when I first recognized it. up at an age where everything is catered to you it's about it's the, it's the most relativistic generation in history because mm -hmm. everything is seen from your perspective as, as yeah. an individual what I started seeing 15 years ago is that it's gonna be difficult to create movements yeah of people who just say we're all in this together but the funny thing is there are movements, movements. man. there are movements of people but it's just it's, it's different it's social yeah there are pockets of people all over the world doing things it's just not Advertise, not advertise, it's not blowing up as much because people are paying attention to different things. There yes. are groups of people mm -hmm. on, online who are worried about this particular cause and there are groups of people who are worried about that particular cause. But in terms of just mass, but that's not true though. Yeah, there, but are we, mass movements. There, there, there are mass, mass movements. There are mass movements. But it's, it's complicated. But what's the difference? What's the difference then? I don't know, but I, one thing I was going to say, maybe this can, this can help us figure out what the difference is, is a lot of people talk about um, this thing called slacktivism instead okay. of activism, which is where you get online and you post a link about this big problem and you're talking about it on Facebook or whatever internet scenario, but you're not doing anything about it in real life. And one of the things with the Arab Spring movements, all those revolutions in the Middle East is in Egypt, you know, there are a lot of people taking to Twitter, like like we were talking about off offline, like they're actually putting videos of, of discrimination things that were happening, but People actually took to the streets and asked for the end of Mubarak's rule when they shut down the internet throughout the entire nation. And like, what are people supposed to do then? They can't go online and post about all the injustice. So they literally took to the streets and went to, I've got the name of the square. Yeah, and not, not to say that the internet is the reason why the revolution happened. It's definitely more nuanced as we like to use that word than that, but 
there, I think there's something there that, that as a force used to create collective consciousness and thought, but also a force that can keep you from that do that, mm -hmm. we, that we've been talking about. The world is now, for the past 20-25 years, been in a state of social and historical adolescence. We experience historical puberty between World War II and probably 1970 where the, the globe shifted. Physically the world changed. Countries changed. Colonialism fell. America transformed. That's a physical change to me in the way things were done. And what we're experiencing now is the intellectual side of that physical change. The inaction versus action that I see in the world right is just it's adolescence. It's just we're yeah. all going through this prolonged historical adolescence, but we all grow up, man. We all grow up. Everybody grows up, gets a job, moves on, and becomes something else and puts their life into action. So I hold hope. I wanna, I wanna read something. Talking to you is telling me I need to get this stuff out because you're not alone, you're getting it. And there are people who I was afraid would not get it, but maybe the time is now to get this. I'm glad you said you, you like the writing, this is another chapter, I mean another paragraph, right? So, and I was talking about me, but I think I'm really talking about your generation. I said, My generation is the most media savvy in human history, yet the most incapable of understanding the intelligence of our savvy. If we can describe and define the layers of our intelligence, there is hope for us and for my brother. Nobody but us can do it. The mechanics of our existence have changed so fast and gone so far since we've been alive. Everyone outside my generation fears the speed and the change. They have never experienced life on our level of virtual complexity. I know every generation says my parents never had it to deal with this, but the statement is truer now than it has ever been. You know, I, I think that there's a lot to that, but I feel like some of it is gonna have to it's gonna have to be a philosophical emergence. Mm -hmm. You know, we already talked about how I think being the values at your core mm -hmm. is is what's going to provide a change. So for me I feel like it's gonna be more from I don't wanna say pro so that, that makes it sound like it's just flowery, floaty words, but like from rigorous analytical, you know, thought, mm -hmm. but thought about concepts and, and how we exist conceptually. Yes. Combined with, of course, there's no reason to say it should just be one of it. Combined with a greater understanding of our biology and how we exist, that's what's, that's what's going to lead us down this thing. One of the cool things that you were talking about a little bit ago with, with history, I don't remember which philosopher said it, but they said, what if his, history is just the, you know, the novel of human, the human race mm -hmm. trying to reach utopia? Will history end? I absolutely believe that. Yeah, wait, will history end when we reach utopia? We're in this adolescent stage mm -hmm. of 
of life. We're, we're still at a point where we're fighting wars, that's how we sell disputes. We haven't completely figured it out, but we're getting somewhere we feel. When we reach a point where, where we reach a point of, uh, a level of understanding of, our, of ourselves and what we need to do, where history will no longer be a thing that's necessary in terms of an ongoing narrative. It'll be something that will literally be finished right. because we reached that utopia status level of, of what we know that we're about. And this this novel of how we got there would, would be it. And I didn't really think much of it, but kind of talking with you today, I feel like it, it really is resonating with me now, something really powerful. Like history, our reading of history, our understanding of it is, is trying to make sense of how we can get to that point someday. Which is cool. Well, my thought on it was was that history was the chronicle of wars. Mm -hmm. And at that time, there was no great war that anybody was fighting. Mm -hmm. There was no great battle against something. You define yourself in struggle. Mm -hmm. why, why do I have faith for, the, for what we're going through now if I call it historical adolescence? Because it's struggle. Mm -hmm. The mind of an adolescent is constantly twirling and figuring things out even though they're unaware and they come out of that exercise a better person. Mm -hmm. So history was that continual struggle to some better end. Why are we fighting the Nazis? Because we want the world to be a better place. You know why? Uh, what, civil War. There's some objective or subjective truth that we try to get at the end of this war. Yeah. Slavery sucks. It's bad. It's dehumanizing. It's wrong. Let's get to something better. And I think you know they called it. They call them the Great Wars of the 20th century for a reason. From 1945, when the A bomb dropped, to when these discussions were happening 20 years ago, where was the Great War? Mm. So I think. I mean, where was the Great Fight? Where? There hadn't been one. And so, I mean, you mentioned earlier, what would unify humanity if we were invaded by an alien force? Yeah. So that's what war is. War is just some alien force attacking your country, and now your nationalistic pride develops. Mm -hmm. So now we have to defend what is ours. And Well, when you start to examine what are we really defending, so it helps you define what makes sense for you yeah. in your town yeah. and your country. Mm -hmm. So there was this discussion about the end of history. History was ending. And it was, it was a real discussion, I think, on intellectual circles. And my thought was because there was no great war. One of the most transformative movies that I saw around that time was, and I wish you, I, I, you've probably seen the Fight Club. Yeah. Fight Club. I remember when, um, when Edward Norton, this is me reading here. When Edward Norton's character in Fight Club begins to see little truth or meaning in the mundane daymare of his office masculinity, as most underappreciated young men will do, he begins a warring, he literally separates himself. Internal dialogue. The, li the dialogue goes so far as to create two separate identities within him. One personality, Jack, is the old American worker. He, like much of my generation, has never tested himself in a fight and is a practitioner of what he calls the IKEA nesting instinct, buying useless home furnishings and other products designed to define him. And this is a quote from the, from the script. If I saw something like clever coffee tables in the shape of of a yin and yang, I had to have it. I would flip through catalogs and wonder what kind of dining set defines me as a person. We used to read pornography. Now it was the Herchow collection. Though he is profoundly troubled, Jack remains the calm little son of the world because he has enough stuff to soothe him. 
and has a job that keeps him busy to forget who he really is. He continues in his meaningless work until he meets Brad Pitt's character, Tyler Durden. And Durden represents this brutish, Hobbesian nature of Jackson masculation. Tyler is a survivalist, a fighter. He refuses to come out of his cave because he sees the world as it was and always will be harsh, combative, bloody. He sees through the, the hypocrites who refuse to accept their animal natures, sees through society's imposed bullshit, especially Jack's created wants and needs. Tyler represents one half of the warring boys in America, the ones losing their alpha male status in a society being forced to commodify, to colorfully exploit all its avenues. And this is a quote from, from um, I think the Tyler Darden character. I see in Fight Club the strongest and smartest men who ever lived, an entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, or their slaves with white collars. Advertisements have them chasing cars and clothes, working jobs they have, working jobs they hate so they can buy shit they don't need. We are the middle children of history. With no purpose or place, we have no great war or great depression. The great war is a spiritual war. The great depression is our lives. We were raised by television to believe that we'd be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. And we're learning that fact. And we're very, very pissed off. Now, Gino, in your intellectual lifetime, there's Al-Qaeda. I'm serious. Yeah. There's Al-Qaeda. There's September 11th, where you saw America yes. and the world, not just America, the world banding together against Mm -hmm. so sort of evil. It's not Nazism. It might be worse. It might not be. But you mentioned that. But now in your lifetime, there was an, there was kind of that example. Yeah. I want to know your take on that. I don't know. I feel like it's a little different now because I honestly feel like World War II might might be one of the only examples of something where it's hard to see it as as some sort of dramatization where it wasn't actually. So you're saying World War II was black and white. I, it felt it felt black and white. Whereas nowadays, like I feel like like all the wars now seem like it's major pa powers vying for geopolitical control. So they're more nuanced. It's like LOK and Avatar. Yeah, I, I feel, I feel like I, I feel like it's not about it's not about the issues. I was, I was having a, a, a debate slash conversation with a dude one day, and we're we're dancing around some of these concepts, and and we he brought up the war on terror, but I was like. You know, no one actually believes that it's really the war on terror. Nowadays, in our generation, we don't we don't see the wars that we're engaged in as actual battles of morality or justice. We kind of recognize that it's what our country is doing to to propel itself. And I feel like the other aspect is it once again comes from this idea that you know, the self can be created and you define what's mm -hmm. actually important. So it's like, well, first of all, you shouldn't subscribe to any sort of higher ideal or morality because all of those are constructed as well. Correct. So so you shouldn't so you shouldn't even really be excited about the US or any sort of United Forces prevailing in any given area because that's probably still not in line with what you actually value or care about anyways. And maybe that's that's probably how at least some conflicts have always been. They've always been this sort of like manipulation of what's really going on for people's own greed and self-interest. But but still, I feel like even more so now. 
and the public consciousness understanding of that's how it of it being that way has resulted in I don't think I don't think it's made any substantial guttural response in the human condition. And I was talking to my friend about it the other day too. He was like, you know, I would I would go up and die for if a cause. If we if we had a war and the cause was good, I would lay down my life and I'd go out there. And I don't think very many people would still hold that sort of feeling. One of the things that I like about millennials, you guys, is that how nuanced you are and how, and it's good and bad, how, how you're able to pick things apart and see the different facets of it. You say you guys today, you see the fact that it's, okay, it's about oil. You see that. You're not dumb enough to, to, to believe that we're going in there for the war and terror. You understand, you think about it, it's about these specific things. So there's a level of specificity that I think you guys understand. So it's very tough to fool you with this glossy rah, rah, rah thing. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with defending those things, but it's tough. It's tougher today to have you do that. And I, I was even watching a video the other day where it's talking about the Civil War and they said it being about slavery was a facade, but more so the South was getting too powerful where they were reaching a point where they were totally out producing and performing the North because the South had unpaid labor in abundance. <laughs> so the North was trying to get labor. Was, was trying to get labor. Was trying to get the South to to work with them to help them. And the South like, no, that's your problem. In fact, we don't even want to deal with you. We'll just secede from the from the Union because we're good. And their way of starting this this war and making it about slavery is to limit the South, the South's power. I mean, like, it was, it was like a two-minute video, so I was just like, I never thought about it that way. I haven't read anything. But it seems like it's a very viable and probably more true to what I understand of the human condition. There, there are texts that say that abolishing slavery was an ancillary thing in the world. It was an economic war. It was a, bar, it was a war for money. A war for I guess money. you could argue that everything comes down to dollars. It's a good thing that we we, we, we sidetracked a little bit to the Civil War, because again, one of the, one of the things that I I mean, recognize I cannot hide from the fact that I'm a black man in America, mm -hmm. and I cannot hide from the fact that I'm an intellectually aware black man in America, aware of the history, aware of the present, aware of things that have happened. Again, 15 years ago, I was wondering, literally, what would happen to my brother when he got your age? What would he see of black life? I was wondering, okay, this was the reality for James Baldwin, this was the reality for, for those guys. I knew the reality was getting better as I was coming through America, but there were still things I had to deal with, not as forcefully, not as warlike, not as in your face, not as direct, but like today, it's indirect, nuanced, changing, different. But as we have seen over the past two months, it is still there. It's still there. So without getting too broad, <laughs> what do you think of the idea of a race in America, given what's happening yeah. in Ferguson uh, the last couple of months and in New York City? Is that a conversation that comes up? Because it seems like you're in some, you know, some nice intellectual circles that are, that are yeah. 
championing certain ideas about world progress, but is race one of them? Um, it's definitely not a prevailing topic. Okay. You know, it's, it's not it's not one of the major topics. But is it because there are not a lot of brothers and sisters in the in the circles where you, where you're hanging. At, at, at least where I'm hanging, I wouldn't say that. I I hang out with people of color, period, and black people, but maybe not the majority black okay. people. So that that definitely would be probably a major reason for it being that way. It does come up sometimes, but I feel like, you know, in, in these sorts of circles, it's about socioeconomic status. Like, like that's the issue that, that we should be getting to here, not not one of the others. And, you know, I think that there's some merit in that. I feel like it depends on on where you're growing up. With things of the past, with, with Rodney King, with, with the things that happened in Ferguson, if you're living in that reality, that those those are real issues that, that you have to grapple with and they're, they're real injustices. If you come from a background that's that's more fortunate, like like mine, those aren't the issues that you face. And it's not So what are the issues that you face? This is what I want to get at. What are the issues that you face? Because it's the truth yeah. is, nobody's asking me to move off the sidewalk when I'm walking down the street in North exactly. Carolina. So exactly. what are the issues that you face? 15 years ago, I couldn't come to grips with what the issues were because they were so, they seemed so nebulous, I really couldn't. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, it takes circumstances like what's happened in the, in the last six months all over this country for people to recognize there are certain issues. So what are the issues that you face? As a black person that you're not truly accepted in the way that that you really should be as a real American, as a real person living in America. And that's something that I've always felt all my life. And I feel like as um, these situations actually get public attention, I mean, they've always been happening right. every year. The same number of people have been dying every year. It's just now that the media has decided to make some sense of it, in part the media's choice, in part the fact that we have we ha we can literally t whip out our iPhones. We are and, and, we are a media. Yeah, and Everybody we can we can put it out there. But seeing the responses to some of those things that happen really sheds light what people what people really think. The thing that I've come to realize is that as unfortunate as that fact is, and even though it's tough, they are things that are still mental nature. No matter how anyone views me, I can still go to university right. and get my grades and be the best person for said position. And I, I may not have to be liked, but I can get myself at least into those avenues. It's not, maybe there are rare cases where you'd still get blocked off, right. but it's, 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 not, it's not the same. Or the way that society doesn't deem black people as beautiful, they deem us as more aggressive or things of that nature. It's kind of up to me to internalize that. As a young kid, you don't you don't really have the wherewithal to understand that and you're just internalizing it anyways and it's difficult for you. But as you mature, you can realize, no, I don't have to internalize that. And I feel like those those are things I feel like these are are personal things to grapple with. Nineteen ninety nine. I'm writing this stuff. I'm thinking this stuff. I am college graduate. I was at that point a semester or two in, in graduate school. Mm -hmm. I am living in an apartment. I didn't have a car. I didn't care for a car. 
but I'm doing the things that I want to do and nobody's nobody's ever told me no. Yeah, exactly. Nobody's ever stopped. But you mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned, and also, because I want you to recognize where these things are coming from, you may, but I want to make sure that we're making that connection, that you recognize personal, that the problems that you experience are personal, and the ways that you perceive of achieving in spite of those are personal choices and decisions that you make. But there are institutional challenges, there are institutional frameworks that lend themselves, that lead to your perspective the way it is. Yeah. And what I'm getting, what I'm seeing is that probably the most important to you is the fact that your family was there beyond yeah. any and everything. Yes. Despite anything that happened, your family was there to help you through or even navigate you without even you having to even experience the harshness of the things that your dad or mom may have. Yeah. Or what you could have possibly seen had you been in, in a slightly different environment. So they, they navigated you through your long, young life probably well, where you didn't have to just keep butting head, heads with these things. But that, again, this is not to say that they weren't there. But I think we've also all night been talking about the difference between core values, objective reality, relative reality, and that we've gotten from a place of this solid sort of objective, this is the way the world is, to this relativistic universe where it's all about you, I world, my thing. But when it comes to the to the conversation about race in America, it was always about a collective. Mm -hmm. It was always about a group identity. And it started out that way because it had to be. One dude wasn't gonna go up to them and say, look you Ku Klux Klan, y'all are idiots. Yeah. What's gonna happen? Boom! <laughs> See you, nigga. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we had exactly. to we had to go at them as a group, group. as a mass. Strength in numbers, right? Strength in numbers, march, march in Washington. Numbers, 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 so they can see we matter. Black lives matter, yeah. literally. So boom, you translate 1960 summer, march in Washington, to now where you're saying it's about me, the individual. That is a huge, huge leap, leap, man, in terms of struggle and definition of blackness being de defined as this collective to you now as an individual being able to say this is me as my own black man then does that say that that group collective thing can never really sort of come back together again what like once the band broke apart once the group broke apart everybody you know you, you michael jackson now the jackson five they oh, go back together the jackson five you know what i'm saying but it, you understand it'll what never I'm saying. be the same it'll never be the same but, it but then how do you how do you have the conversation gina how do you have and again all these things we've been talking about about we're in i'm just going to start defining this and claiming this aranda ash says the we're in historical adolescence so part of historical adolescence and part of writing this is that we have to define ourselves as human beings first you and i we have to come to terms with our values as a human, human being mm -hmm. objective human values first and foremost so we have to get to that on top of that we have to define who am i as a man, man. Mm -hmm. okay and then on top of that who am i as a black man Indeed. but those things don't happen on separate they happen all, all at the, the same, same time. time and if those conversations are being bombarded with all these distractive elements of historical adolescence, specifically in the country that's putting forth more media, more computers, more bullshit than anybody else. How do you have those discussions, Gino? And I go back to say that your your statement and your analysis of who you are have to come from 
the core structure that you have, your family. Yeah. I would posit that it did. It but did. we recognize that with a 50% divorce rate right. in this country, mm-hmm. not a lot of people have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I can, I count you lucky. Yeah. I count you very lucky. very lucky. But I need you to just leap outside of your head for a second and try to help me figure out, or we got to figure out, because again, we're trying to make a better world out of all this. For the people, for the majority of people that really probably don't have that and don't have those avenues of friends were able to have those discussions and you admit that those discussions didn't happen in high school those discussions are probably just starting to happen now mm-hmm. in college so we so where where if we're talking about multiple layers of understanding multiple layers of self-definition as a human being as a man that is a black man in america that all are happening simultaneously in this noisy chaotic confusing world how do you define race not as a collective, but as an individual when you have to still define three separate individuals. Man. That's what I was grappling with 20 Man. years ago. All I do is stay focused, looking straight forward at the world and beyond. I feel people pulling me down. I feel some pulling me up. I can't get stuck. I just keep moving forward. I got places to go, man. Let's go. Wendy, Gotta bring it back to my favorite rapper, Nas, man. He's the greatest, he's the GOAT. He basically said, you know, like, well, first of all, I didn't I didn't learn from the education system. I taught myself. Right. I went in and got books and read up. But what you need to do is you need to ask these kids if they know who their parents are. Do they know what they went through? Do you value it? Does it matter? Do you know what your grand who your grandparents are? What did they go through? Does it matter to you? And when you understand your history and where you came from, then you can decide, like, what does this mean to me? Does this matter, the struggle that that my grandparents went through, my parents went through? And I feel like a lot of that, it comes from, from knowing your history. It comes from, if you, if you, can't, if you can't ask your parents, then maybe you have, to, you have to get a textbook. You have to get, you have to get a book from, from, from the people of that day. That Were you able to ask your parents for most of these things growing up? Yeah, we had, I had a very great relationship with my parents when they were from the beginning, super candid with me. You need to know your history. I was into this rap song on the way over here. The, the line was like, you know, you gotta play the hand that you were dealt. There's only four aces in the deck, my trucker. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, New York to Cali, for the money, power, respect is a journey. Some will get left behind, cause in life, you cannot press rewind, get it right. You only have one first chance to make one first impression that lasts a lifetime. Reputation supersedes itself. Do you believe in hell? Babylon, greed for wealth. Do you deceive yourself and let your ego swell? And disregard those who most need your help. Thick skin, the dark won't take my soul. Survive spiritual wars, see my wealth in the evil spilt. But the Faith is stronger. I saw a grown men fall when I was a youngster, but I clenched my fist, ready to go against whoever tied my Tim's and rise in the end. You know, life's not fair, and you know, you're gonna be dealt a bad hand. 
based on. But there are certain people who have been historically dealt amazing hands over no uh, over and over bad hands, hands over and, and over, over and over again, Virginia. Because one of the things that you that you you mentioned, and I'm I'm sorry if I'm cutting you off because I want I want you to get into it. One of the other things you mentioned when discussing race now, you said you mentioned that it's the discussion when you talk to people is about socioeconomics, and one of the things we've been skirting around all night is is again when you're having discussions with people about anything you have to first come to a place where everybody's leveled off where we can actually start the discussion right and so we're we're living in a technical world you mentioned when i was reading this stuff about fight club i think the first thing i read you were talking about people being able to i think mention this you're hinting at being specific rather than being kind of beautiful poetic language that there has to be some mix of the two there has to be moving forward some mix of hard analysis but done in a beautiful, artistic, poetic way. When people are having discussion about race, and I think in the circles you have, it comes down to, at base, socioeconomics. That's not a hard discussion to me. That is finding a language where the, the, the white girl from Minnesota can have a conversation with you here. Because now you just, you can, you just, you're talking a, a similar language about socioeconomics. When you're talking about race, that is the beautiful, poetic, nuanced language that she will never understand your reality and there's no way that you can really fully explain it to her. The truth of those conversations and the dynamics and the realities and the growth that can be shared from those exchanges never really happen because it's bogged down in just socioeconomics so that you can have a surface understanding of each other just to continue the conversation, which is fine because the conversation has to happen one way or the other. But I'm just letting you know from what I hear. It's, it, I mean, and you recognize it. The conversation is more nuanced than that. The conversation is more real than that. It is. And stopping simply at socioeconomics is just doing it a disservice. In part three of my conversation with Gino, the black millennial, we get into a little bit more fun stuff. Music, movies. He's in the movies and uses his intelligence and awareness to critically assess them. I actually think he should be making movies in the future. He also talks about personal choices and his day-to-day -day life. So come on back to Ubuntu Radio.